Please open up your Bibles to John chapter 4. You don't know what you don't know. Have you ever been in over your head? Found yourself in a situation saying, what in the world am I doing here? (laughs) It has happened to me lots of times. But I remember one instance vividly, seared in my memory forever. I was driving all over Birmingham. Shay was at work. Judah was in the back seat in his infant car carrier. I was driving all over town, returning a whole bunch of baby paraphernalia that we had borrowed from our friends. Returning it all because on the next day, the Patrick family of three was relocating to South Carolina so that I could become the pastor of a church. And driving around that day, I nearly had a full-on panic attack as the reality of what I was about to do continued to set in. What in the world are you doing? (laughs) You can't do this. That was 10 years ago this past Thursday, January 31st. You see, I knew what I knew, which wasn't much. And I knew what I didn't know, which was a whole lot more, but my biggest fear, the source of anxiety that day was that I didn't know what I didn't know. There was this vast amount of stuff out there that I didn't even yet know that I didn't know. You see it graphically represented there. Maybe you've been in a meeting or an interview and they've asked you, hey, Do you have any questions? And you think, oh my goodness, I don't even know what questions to ask. Maybe if you're wise enough, you ask the person who asked you that, um, what should I be asking, right? If you were me, what questions would you ask? I've done that lots of times. Another big area where we've experienced this is in the area of foster care and adoption. We embarked on that knowing what we knew, which was not much. We had some idea of what we didn't know, and then we had no clue (laughs) about what we didn't even know that we didn't know. And I was thinking about all of this this week as I was digging deeper into chapter 4. And this account of the woman at the well. Because in many ways, this passage is a passage about ignorance and knowledge. Right? This woman that Jesus encounters, she certainly thinks that she knows some stuff. And she's even willing to admit that there's some stuff that she doesn't know. But there is definitely for her this third category where she is ignorant 
of what she's ignorant of. And what makes it worthwhile for us to explore is that she's not unique. She's not the only one to have ever had this type of ignorance. She's not the only one to whom Jesus has encountered and revealed himself to. So I want to ask you to stand if you're able for the reading of God's word. John chapter 4, 7 through 15 is the chunk that we're going to tackle this morning. The very words of God. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? And John often has these parenthetical comments to help out his non-Jewish readers so that they won't be lost as to what the deal is. For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Verse 10, Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir... You have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here and draw water. May God bless the preaching of his word. We've already prayed. Please be seated. Now, Before we get into these topics of ignorance and knowledge, it's worth noting here first how Jesus is a big fat rule breaker. Not a law breaker, that would be different. Not violating any of God's laws, but he is violating almost every single taboo and social moray of the day. You see, any respectable Jewish man, upon seeing the Samaritan woman approach at the same well he happened to be at, well... He'd look away. He would pretend like she wasn't even there. Wouldn't give the southern nod, right? Sometimes it's a nod down. Sometimes we're driving, it's a nod up, right? Just depends. He wouldn't even do that. He wouldn't smile at her. He wouldn't look. And he definitely would not enter into this interaction, (laughs) like he does, and he surely wouldn't ask to drink out of her water cup. That is shocking. It would be shocking to the Jewish Jewish reader. It's going to be shocking to the disciples once they get back from town. And it's shocking to the Samaritan woman. That's why she asks what she does in verse 9. See, she knows. Here's part of what she does know. She knows... (laughs) that he should not be doing this. And there's a big range of possibilities in her question here. 
she could be asking this question as if to say, are you crazy? Or maybe it's wondering, gosh, is this guy ignorant? Does he not know? Surely he knows, right? Everybody knows. Or there there could be an amount of sarcasm here. This this could be a, a jeer or a bit of a taunt she's throwing his way. We talked last week about the the tense relations between Jew and Samaritan, of of how the Jews looked down upon the Samaritans as the lowest of the low. So so it could be this woman is saying, all right, you think we're so dirty and profane, yet now that you're thirsty, you want to ask me for a drink? My, my, my. We don't know exactly the thoughts behind her question. But we do know Jesus' response to her question. He just ignores it. He's got bigger fish to fry. Instead of answering that question, he presses into her ignorance. What she doesn't know. And I've I've broken that down a bit on your outline that you see in the worship folder. Three parts of her ignorance. She is ignorant. She does not know who Jesus is. Does not know his identity. She's ignorant of what her need is, and she's ignorant of what Jesus offers. Now, again, don't miss this. Her ignorance is not unique. We're not at the zoo marveling at some strange creature here. Ooh, you know, She's not unique, right? Some of us here, definitely some of our neighbors, our friends. Let's look at this first subpoint: who Jesus is. Verse 10, this is how Jesus responds. He says, if you knew, which is equivalent to him saying, you don't know, right? If you knew. She's ignorant of this information, and so Jesus tells her, look, if you knew, you'd be asking me for water. If you knew who I was, you'd be asking me, I'd give you living water. But she has no idea who she's in the presence of. See, her shock and her concern is that uh, this Jewish man will come, become defiled. He, he probably already has because he's just talking to me, but if he drinks out of my cup which is tainted by my Samaritanness and my uncleanness, he'll be defiled. She has no clue that if Jesus so much as touches that cup or bucket or whatever it was, he doesn't become defiled, that cup becomes pure and clean. That's how it works with Jesus. Right? Think about in another one of the Gospels, the account of Jesus healing the leper, right? Can't touch a leper. You're unclean for days. Right? Jesus touches the leper and he doesn't become unclean. The leper gets healed. That's the way that the power flows here. She has no idea who she's dealing with. Look at verse 12, how she expresses her ignorance. Um, Now, The ESV, which I'm preaching from, a lot of us use that. 
it translates this as a positive question. Are you greater? But the actual wording here is, is negative. Right? The actual wording is more like, you're not greater, are you? Right? It's asked in the negative. It's phrased that way by this woman because she fully expects the answer to be no. <laughs> of course I'm not greater than our father Jacob. That would be preposterous. John loves irony. This gospel is so chock full of these ironic nuggets. They're great. And he plays a lot with, we'll see, knowledge and ignorance. This is not the only time we're going to see this. He plays so much in John, in this gospel, with people who think they know and they have no clue. He's going to play with that a lot and it's it's beautiful. It's very, it's entertaining, actually. Now, Jesus could have just pounced on this negative question. You're not greater, are you? He could have pounced on it and said, well, Missy, let me tell you, as a matter of fact, I'm greater than all the patriarchs put together. I created the, you know, he could have done lots here, but he doesn't. She has no idea who she's interacting with. She also has no idea. She's also ignorant of her great need. See, she thinks Jesus is the one in need. He's, he's the thirsty one, right? He's the one who asked her for a drink. And when Jesus suggests that she should have asked him, well, that just doesn't make sense to her. Because she has water. She doesn't need water. The middle of verse 12. We have this here well. Jacob gave it to us. Water. Right? And I've got the tools to get it. I've got a bucket and a rope. She thinks she's okay. She's got water. She's got the tools to get it. She's got a way to quench her thirst. She thinks she's got Jacob as her father, this patriarch in the faith. She thinks that because she counts herself as a descendant, well, she's in the family. She's good. She has no idea what her real need is, though Jesus will certainly help her realize that, and we'll get into that in greater depth next week. She doesn't know who Jesus is. She doesn't know of her own great need. She's also ignorant of what Jesus even has to offer. Now, he offers her living water. And that has a bit of a double meaning here. Because living water can just be referring to water that's flowing. It's moving as opposed to stagnant water. So think about if you're, uh, if you're dying of thirst, you desperately need hydration. Would you rather drink from... A river flowing high in the mountains or a pond out in a field somewhere. Right? So that's what living water could mean on one level, but that's clearly not what Jesus is talking about. He's talking about water that we saw, see in verse 14 that permanently quenches thirst, and she doesn't have a category for that. 
she doesn't know how to think about that at all. And, and we see where she starts in verse 11 by showing that in her ignorance, she's stuck. She's stuck in the physical, in the temporal, in the earthly, right? That's all her mind is able to comprehend. That's the only place she can go, right? You don't have a bucket. Sir, you say you're going to give water and you don't have a bucket. And to top it all off, this is one deep well. It, it may have been the deepest one in all of Palestine. She's stuck in her ignorance. And, and all she, she's got some facts. She knows what she knows, right? I'm not thirsty. I've got water. He's the one who's thirsty. He doesn't have means of getting water, much less of giving water to me. See, she's stuck. She doesn't have the ability to lift herself above what's here, what she can see, what she can touch, and consider that Jesus just might be offering her something supernatural, something that transcends all she knows and has ever experienced. And you see that even at the very last verse of the, of the verses that we're covering today, verse 15, where it seems like she's kind of conceding a little bit, and it might just be to test him. It might just be, all right, buddy, put your money with your, where your mouth is. Give me some of this water. Let's see if you're for real or not. Because if you're right, well, I won't be thirsty again, and it sure will make life easier. Because this water is heavy, and I'm tired of lugging it back and, well, not back and forth, but forth or back, whatever it is. It's heavy. I'm tired. It sure would be nice. She thinks the extent of what he has to offer is ease. Less work on her part. That, that'd be nice, right? Now remember, she's not unique. She's not unique at all. Because we're very often tempted to think that Jesus comes along to help us out a bit to make our current life, well, just a little bit easier, a little bit better. Maybe he'll take away this ailment that I have. Maybe he'll help me find a job. Maybe he'll help me raise these kids. But you see, Jesus, if your life was a house, right, Jesus isn't about coming to help you remodel your house. He's coming to tear your house down and he's going to build you a brand new one. She has no idea the full extent and benefit of what he has to offer. She doesn't know what she doesn't know. And so that's her ignorance. But we need to, again, consider the context. Where in John's gospel is this encounter taking place? It's coming after his encounter with Nicodemus. And think back to Nicodemus, and the point of that whole encounter was he was trying to get Nicodemus to see, all right, buddy, you can't see the kingdom 
you certainly can't enter the kingdom until you've been born again. Until you've been born from above. One of the main things that the new birth does is to, to reveal knowledge. One of the things that the new birth does is it cures ignorance. It opens eyes so that we can see. Right? Look again at verse 10. Right? If you knew. If you had this, if you only knew. If you knew, two great things would have happened. You would have asked and he would have given. See, the new birth brings about knowledge. Number one, an awareness of our need. And number two, knowledge of the availability of a great provision for that need. If you knew, you would have asked and he would have given. See, being born again and being born again awakens us to the reality that we are in desperate need. Not just that we thirst, though we do. Not just that we crave, though we do. That we have this inability to be satiated and satisfied with what this world has to offer. But also, it awakens us to our need because... Our attempts to try to be satisfied, our attempts to try to quench our thirst are very often, almost always, in direct rebellion to the one who created us. See, we're thirsty, but we're seeking water in all the wrong places. Prophet Jeremiah told us about that. Jeremiah 2.13. For my people have committed two evils. See, she's not unique. My people have done this. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. Our Creator has revealed how to have our thirst quenched, but we always think we know better. And we reject Him and His ways for our own, and that rebellion has earned for us death. And so the new birth allows us to know not only our thirst, but also the consequences of how we've improperly tried to quench that thirst. And we'll see in greater detail next week how Jesus presses in. He presses in with a Samaritan woman, getting her to see, getting us to see, the unsuccessful attempts at trying to quench thirst. All right. So that's part of what the new birth does. This sort of formula. If we knew, we would ask, and if we ask, he would give. See, we have, we have the promise here. It's not if we ask, he might give. 
Oh, if we would have asked, He would have given. There's a certainty there. This provision that is awaiting us that will forever satisfy, that will never run out, that will never fail. Verse 14, look at it again. But whoever drinks of the water, see, if we would just ask for this water, if we only knew to ask that I will give him, will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. So you see, this water, this provision isn't just going to satisfy thirst. It's going to make a radical change on the inside. There will now be a new source of water in you that will lead not just to the quenching of thirst, but to eternal life. This is the provision that if we know, we will ask and He will give. See, once the new birth comes... It sets in motion a chain of events that cannot and will not be stopped. Do you know that there is no one who has been born again that does not obtain eternal life? No one. The Samaritan woman was stuck, hung up on the externals. Right, No bucket, deep well big problem I'm sure that she thought her biggest problem was external to her we're going to see next week for her what we probably already suspect about ourselves that our greatest need is not external it's in here And that's where the provision, that's where the solution, the living water does its thing. It quenches our deepest thirst from the inside out. But folks, you need to remember, this great provision came at a great cost. Not to us. Not to us. No, to us it's free. Uh, Isaiah 55. Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters, and he who has no money. Right? The cost is not to us, but it was to him. See, we could never afford the cost. But Jesus, see, in order to satisfy our thirst forever, he had to thirst. And as he hung on the cross, paying for our rebellion, paying for all the wrong ways we tried to quench our thirst, as he hung there among his very last words that he spoke in his earthly life, I thirst. A thirst which was not satisfied for him on that cross so that ours could be satisfied forever. Let's pray.